Good day, friends. This is Jesus in the Center One Year Bible Podcast. I'm Ray Kozak, the pastor at St. Paul's. Today is day 34 or February 3rd. Hey, thank you for joining me. Today is going to be, I hope, a short one. And it's dedicated to my friend Scott, who, whenever I record something that's less than 15 minutes, he thinks it's too short. There must be a mistake. He has to listen to it twice to meet my quota. I do apologize sometimes I'm long-winded, but today I think it will be a short one. We're going to listen to or reflect on Exodus 17, 18, 19, and a little bit in Matthew 22, 23. So today we come, and yesterday we saw how the Lord said, Come before me on the rock, this rock of Horeb, or this dry rock, you all who need water, and strike the rock. And Moses struck the rock, and, and, and it can be taken almost that the Lord struck, was struck, a prefigurement of what would happen on Calvary, that the Lord was struck for us, and from that rock was flowing abundant water for all the people. Well, right after that, we see these, this group of people out of the blue. It says the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites right there at Rephidim. And so they're fighting. So the first time we, we hear of Joshua... Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Moses knows that if they are to win military victories, it won't be because of their own power. It will be the Lord's power. And so he says, I will stand with the staff of God. This, this symbol of authority, this, this, it's more than a stick. It's uh, God wielding his authority on, on earth through Moses. Isn't it interesting how in this section you probably saw that Moses needed help. He needs help if he's going to lead his people into victory and into peace. And then he also needs help if he is going to keep order, if he's going to keep peace. Well, the first one of these is this whole thing with where he's up on the mountain or the hill and he's overlooking the battle against the Amalekites and it says that whenever his hands are raised, they're winning the victory. Whenever his hands drop, uh, they lose the victory. And uh, a symbol, too, of the, the power of prayer and the need for each of us to have others to pray with us. Anyway, a good thing to reflect on is uh, the altar that Moses built as a result of the victory. He called it, The Lord is My Banner. Check out, uh, I believe it's Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, a couple times in that chapter, it talks about the Lord raising a banner for all the nations that would symbol, symbolize and point to this messianic kingdom. So that's, that's Isaiah chapter 11. Well, so the first one is, the first place where Moses needs help is to win this battle, right? He needs his hands held up by others. And then he needs help to judge. And he gets this help from an unexpected place. He can't keep up with all the disputes and in the, in the peace. And it says here that they've been here for, it's about six weeks that they're here at Rephidim, maybe longer. Um, and it, it says that his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and his father-in-law, it, he heard of everything that God had done. And uh, remember, it says that Moses had sent his wife away, and his wife and his two sons are with, are with um, his father-in-law. It's a little confusing. His, his first son definitely was, Gershom was there. Is his second son born now? Um, when 
when uh, his wife comes to him. We don't know, but it seems like it. At least, if not, he changed his name to Eleazar, for he said, My father's God was my helper. He, he saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. So perhaps he's born right there when Jethro comes, or perhaps he's born and, and the name isn't finalized. And Moses gives him this name of Eleazar, or God's help. God was my helper. So Moses needs help. He needs help to, to judge the people. And Jethro, uh, he suggests the help. But before that, isn't it cool how Jethro saw the work of God, even though he's the priest of Midian, whatever that means, he hears of what God had done. And he says, Praise be to Yahweh, who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now, he says, this is chapter 18, verse 11, Now I know that the Lord, Yahweh, is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. And then he says that he brings burnt offerings and sacrifices to God, along with Aaron and the elders, and they eat a meal, and uh, they're in the presence of God. And this eating a meal, in this kind of context, yeah, it often would follow a, a sacrifice and a service, as we'll come to see, but it also could imply some sort of covenant that that is being made between Jethro and Yahweh. This covenant of peace that Jethro is saying, Yahweh will be my God. I don't know. It's interesting. It's, it's amazing to see that the works of God and his power has an effect in our lives. Well, anyway, it goes on and Jethro says, what are you doing as far as trying to manage all these people? It says, you need some help. And so uh, he suggests that that he gets some other faithful men. You could check out, I believe it's Second, First Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. There, Paul talks about Timothy passing on to faithful men the, the doctrine of God and that they might pass it on to others also. And there's four generations there in that First Timothy 2, verse 2. In this context with Jethro, there's the, uh, he says, uh, get, get, um, those who will be able to manage over a thousand and over hundreds, fifties, and, and so on. This same language is picked up in Mark, I believe it's chapter six, the feeding of the, uh, of the, I believe it's the 5,000. You can look there, but Jesus has them sit down. How? Not just any which way, but in hundreds, fifties, and, and such like this to draw on the language of this right here. In, in a sense, he is there, Jesus is saying, I am the one who has come that Moses predicted, right? Deuteronomy 18, 18, the prophet to come. Well, anyway, they end up going up. They travel to Mount Sinai, and they um, they hear from God that, that they will be God's covenant people. It says that they camp on the front of the mountain. And this chapter 19, is it's very, very pivotal. They... Uh, they are reminded that God says, you have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings. I love that. It's, it harkens to Isaiah 40. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength and mount up with wings as eagles. Anyway, here God says that I, I brought you to myself. And then, then he says this, verse 5, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. This was God's will for his people Israel, that they would be 
his treasured possession and live like it. They would be a kingdom full of priests, those who would uh, pray to the Lord on behalf of the nations, and that they would be a holy nation. And interesting enough, this was never really fulfilled, even though in a moment, this is verse 8 or so, they say everything that the Lord has said, we will do it. Well, they don't. Chapter 20, even though it gives us the, the covenant, the Mosaic covenant, they say they will do it, but almost immediately they don't. They, they worship a golden calf. Anyway, this was God's will that they would be this treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And you can read 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter says that this is fulfilled in Jesus, the one who uh, came to redeem Israel and all the, all the world. He, he, of course, is our king and our priest and the one who uh, makes us holy, part of his holy people. So thanks be to God for that. You can also, just for some more context on this, read Hebrews chapter 12 and 13, maybe it's 13, where the author there uses this story of the of the majesty of God out Mount, Mount Sinai and how even today we should come with reverence before the Lord. We come to the Lord, to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Anyway, it's pretty, pretty amazing stuff. All right, we're going to flip over to Matthew. All right, we are in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus has been asked many questions by the scribes, the Pharisees, uh, the chief priests, the lawyers, the Sadducees, and now um, one of the Pharisees gathered together, and one particular one, a lawyer, that is an expert in the law, asked him a question to test him. And he asked him, which commandment is the greatest? And he says, of course, as we know, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the, the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is God's will as well for us that we would love him with with our whole beings not just with not just as you know we could think of brains on a stick not just with our cranium but with our heart our soul our mind our strength with everything that God has given us he is worthy of love I, I love to think about uh, using that word a lot reading Deuteronomy there is uh, this encouragement to know first that God loves us and that we in return ought to love him. And we are shown so much of God that we can love and also that he can change our hearts from hearts that, that hate to hearts that love. The next section here, Jesus is done being asked questions. So he's going to ask questions. He's going to ask a particular question and it zeroes in on on him. And he says, I love this. He says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. Of course, he is, of course, he's the son of David. He will come as the next Davidic ruler. He is the king to come. Then Jesus says this, how is it then that David in the spirit, calls him Lord, saying. And so when, when you hear he says, David is saying this in the spirit, he is saying that this thing he's about to quote of David is inspired by God's Holy Spirit. 
it is inspired by God himself. And this is what he says. He quotes from Psalm 110, which, by the way, is one of the most quoted, in fact, maybe the most quoted uh, Old Testament passage in the New Testament. It seems kind of obscure and hard to read, understand, but it is central to who Jesus is and who he is for us. So Jesus asked them, how could David say in the spirit this, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. They probably would have wished that this Psalm 110 was not in their hymn book, in the book of Psalms. They would like to throw it out because they don't have an answer for it. How could David say, Yahweh said to my master, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Whose son is he? It's a kind of a confusing thing if we think about it, but what Jesus is saying is here, he is more than just David's son. He is David's son, but he is also David's Lord. How could he be David's Lord if he is just his descendant? Well, if he is something more than David's descendant, then he can be his Lord. And that's what Jesus is saying. He is David's Lord because he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is Yahweh, come in the flesh. We see this many places in scripture that Jesus Jesus says things that only God could say. Jesus does things that only God could do. Things are said about Jesus that only would be said of God. And so here Jesus is zeroing in on his identity. Who is it that they have plotted to kill? David's, not just David's son, but David's Lord. Wow. And then he'll begin chapter 23 here. And maybe we'll pick up more on this tomorrow. But he begins to uh, to warn the Pharisees who are plotting against him. You know what? You guys, you don't know what you're doing. And also to warn the people who listen to the Pharisees. Stop. Stop listening to them. Uh, they are blind guides. All right, we're going to stop there. Except maybe we'll flip over to Psalm 27 and read just a little bit of it uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. So Psalm 27 verse 7 says this. Hear my voice when I call Jesus Christ. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says to you, seek his face. Your face, Jesus Christ, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn away your servant. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, Jesus Christ will receive me. Teach me your way, Jesus Christ. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of Jesus Christ in the land of the living. Wait for Jesus Christ. Be strong and take heart and wait for Jesus Christ. Amen. Proverbs 6, one quick thought. Is fire good? Is fire good? And of course the answer to that is, Yes and no. It can be very, very good. It can warm up your house. I'm, I would love to get a wood stove. I've got a bunch of trees that need cut down and dried out. And I would love to just have that ambiance of a nice, warm fire in my living room. Fire's good, but it's also very bad. Fire burns your house down. Fire can kill you. So it is with sexuality. 
it's so good and yet it can kill you and that's what our proverbs here says at some point i want to talk about the um the proverbs and how they sort of leave women out of them there's always it's geared for a man to to think to be warned about uh, sexuality against women adulterous women and so on like isn't it a two-way street and in our day of course we would say yes but we have to remember who are the proverbs written for they're written for a uh, head of a house a head of a kingdom a prince who is going to rule and so the proverbs are teaching that man to rule well to live well to live for the lord and to live for others so sometimes we don't hear ourselves in there exactly and yet we can we can know that the lord is still good and we can apply his truth to us all right well there's a lot for today i don't know scott if you got to the end of this was it short enough it wasn't 15 minutes so maybe you don't have to listen to it twice. <laughs> Thank you all. Love you. God's peace to you. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.